Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Places Where We Go podcast. This is going to be our last episode about places to see in London, England. We've spent a few episodes talking about several places that we visited. We talked about the Tower of London, Buckingham Palace, Churchill War Rooms, and a number of other places. And when you plan a trip to London, you might select several days to visit some of these key tourist attractions. Some of them may take a couple of hours. Some of them may take half a day. You're going to find yourself with time on your hands after the main attraction where you still have time to do things, but you may not have the main attraction to see anymore. So today's episode is going to be about other things that you can see and do in London around the main attractions that you otherwise might select. So we have about 10 things that we're going to share with you to occupy your time in and around the main things that you might choose to do. So we had five full days in London that were mainly occupied with a number of the places that we had mentioned, but we kept ourselves busy from the time we woke up in the morning to the time we went to bed at night. That's us, though. For some, some enjoy the leisurely hotel stay after you do something, but we like to keep busy. We're go, go, go. Yeah. Because when you fly however many thousands of miles it is from Southern California to London, you want to see as much of it as you can. Either way is okay. Why don't we talk a little bit about, let's do a little recap about London, and then we'll get into our top 10 things to do besides the main things that you might do. Yeah, a little bit about London. It is a capital of England and the UK and its largest city. It had been a major settlement for two millennia. Londinium was founded by the Romans in AD 43. And before that, there was some evidence of inhabitants in the area as far back as 4000 BC. That's a very, very, very long time ago. Those are the caveman Londoners then probably. Yes. yes. Well, I, we... You could find evidence of ancient peoples in many places, but that's pretty old. There's about 9 million people that reside in London, and it is a city of immigrants for sure. They have over 300 languages that are spoken in that region. At the last census, which was in 2011, almost 37% of the residents there were foreign-born. So that's, that's quite a high number. Where are they from? They came people. from places like India. Yes, and number three, the, other than UK and India. Who's next, Julie? Poland. That's my people. That's your people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's many, many Polish immigrants all throughout the world because they were so displaced. We even went so, to a Polish restaurant in London. Yes, we did. Yeah. It was very good. Um, there are four 
World Heritage Sites in London. We did visit the Tower of London. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. The Key Gardens. And the site that has the Palace of Westminster, the Abbey, and St. Margaret's Church. That's all combined together. And the last one is the historic settlement in Greenwich, where the Royal Observatory and Greenwich defines the prime meridian as zero longitude and Greenwich Mean Time. See, so this is one of those things I didn't know before we went to London that there was actually four World Heritage Sites there. I think if I knew that, I probably would have tried to structure our itinerary so that we hit all four of them. You know, we did go to two. That's not something that we look for prior to coming. It's something we stumbled upon while we were there. But now... In our travels, we've been to a number of places that just happen to be UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Now I kind of feel like I want to visit as many as we can on our travels. So We'll be back. Yeah. And if somebody else wants to see those types of sites, just know that there's four of them in London. And then you had mentioned before Buckingham Palace. This is not a World Heritage Site, but it is a quite a landmark in the UK. Uh, the London Eye, there's multiple museums, galleries, libraries. They mm -hmm. have tons of sporting events. Some of the museums are the British Museum, the National Gallery, the National History Museum, Tate Modern Museum, the British Library, and the West End Theater. So you can keep yourself busy for a long, long time mm -hmm. as a tourist. It absolutely yeah, yeah, can. It's a multiple visit kind of city. Yeah, so it's a big city. Uh, one fun fact about yes. London. About the city. Yes, about the city of London, is that it is actually a forest. The city is a forest. Yeah, who, who knew? I didn't know that. So according to UN definition of a forest, the city itself has so many trees that it falls within that definition. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. it does because it has very large parks. And I could see that. I could see why it's called a forest, yeah. despite the many, many concrete buildings all over the place yeah. so i don't know my english geography super well so i know somewhere in the uk there's a sherwood forest and now we know about the london forest mm -hmm. so we were going to dive into 10 things that you can do to keep yourself busy in london and one of the ways you're going to get around to just about all of these things is via what they call the London Underground, AKA the tube. And the tube is my number one item that I'm sharing with you. So interesting fact is that the London Underground is the world's first underground passenger railway. It's also the oldest underground railway network in the world. This was open in 1863. It has 11 lines and in normal times, and I say that because we're recording this during the COVID epic, it will carry roughly 5 million people every day. So it's not carrying that many as we speak, but it's a fantastic way to get around a city. We living in Southern California don't have anything remotely like that at all. So we live in an area where if you want to get from point A to point B, we're a car culture in Southern California and mm, you pretty you much drive. Get, you drive in a car, which is why our freeways are usually horrendous. If you ever come out to Southern California, the 405 freeway, which is our San Diego freeway, you can be on there in two in the morning and be in bumper to bumper traffic. We've had yeah. that experience many a time. And we do have railway, 
but there's so few stops that kind of makes sense that once you get to a railway stop that's even close to where you want to be, you usually need a car to get to that last destination anyway. So you end up just driving. Yeah, we're not built like many European cities where trains can get you to lots of places in a close proximity. So that is, I think, one of the neat things about London. I would recommend if you're going there, there's a thing called the Oyster Card, which is a card that you can buy that will give you access via the tube for the amount of days you wanna buy the card for, and it kind of branches out by region. So if you think about the center of London as being region one, and you kind of draw ovals around that, the further out you go, you're gonna pay a little more. So you could get an Oyster card for just region one. We, you know, we ended up getting one for regions one through four because that encompassed most of the areas that we wanted to see. And then once you have that card, you can throughout the course of the day that you have the card for, you can hop on, hop off. You can ride that all day long if you want. And one of the, I think it might be a fun thing to do if you're just a tourist and had time to kill is just hop on the tube and just get off at a random spot and just explore. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'd be fun for me. Probably not fun for everybody else. The tube will get you around the city. It's just fantastic. So that's number one. Number two would be Hyde Park, which we have strolled through several times as we were walking through the London area. It is incredibly large, 350 acres of park that's divided by the Serpentine and the Longwater Lakes. It was established in 1536, believe it or not, by Henry VIII, when he took the land from Westminster Abbey and used it as a hunting ground. Yeah, I didn't see any hunting when we were there, though. No, huh? no, 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 no. There, I didn't see much any large animal except people, maybe, but yeah. that's about it. It opened to the public in 1637. By the late 20th century, the park was known for holding large-scale free rock concerts, including groups such as Pink Floyd, Blind Faith, the Rolling Stones, and one of my favorite, Queen. Among the things you'll see in the park are Princess Diana of Wales Memorial Fountain, which we did stop and look at. It was located in the uh, southwest corner of Hyde Park, and it was designed to express Diana's spirit and love of children. It was officially opened in July of 2004 by Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, so we stopped by that and took mm -hmm. some photos. That was a nice area. Yeah, it was area. nice. It was a nice, mm -hmm. hello, water, a really pretty water feature, a modern, a little modern looking, mm -hmm. and it was nice. Another thing you can see is the Italian gardens, and it, this was created in 1860. It has many ornamental water features in it. it. This is on the north side of the park near Lancaster Gate. The Italian gardens are an elaborate mix of uh, these main basins. They're kind of divided. And they feature central rosettes carved in Carrara marble, Portland stone, white marble. There's a, a collection of stone statues 
and urns, and you can definitely get that feel, that that Italian flavor to it. It's mm-hmm. definitely there. We did stop in this garden also and just kind of relaxed a little bit. I believe it was raining at the time. Yeah, it was kind of an overcast day, rainy day, but... This was another kind of neat place to take some photos. It was, it was done very nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very pretty. Yeah. This is said to have been a gift from Prince Albert to his beautiful Queen Victoria, whom apparently he loved very much. Another thing we stopped at as we were walking through this park was Peter Pan statue. Yeah, I had this on my list. We had to find it. It was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Partly because the park is so big and we didn't know exactly where in the park it was. So we were hunting for the Peter Pan statue. Yeah. And I think others were too. Mm -hmm. You know, some probably just stumbled upon it, but it seems like there was a lot of interest in it. Now, why is there a statue of Peter Pan in this park, Julie? It marks the exact spot in this park, in Hyde Park, where the novel Peter Pan notes this character made its first appearance peter mm-hmm. pan made his first appearance right in that very spot yeah peter pan started there and you can go see the statue that yeah. marks the exact spot yeah it was kind of neat because it's a story that we grew up with mm-hmm. so it's, it's it was kind of a a fun whimsical thing yeah the statue was whimsical and it was fun yeah another thing we stopped at which you had read about i had no idea but you had read about these wild green parrots that was very interesting this whole colony of feral parrots, which are green, they're mm-hmm. a certain type of, of parrot, had taken over the British capital. Nobody knows how these small green parrots originated from South Asia and Central Africa and how they came to be in the capital city. Some Londoners consider these beautiful little birds to be a threat to the native birds. And others have adopted these colorful little beautiful green birds as their unofficial uh, city mascot. So they're loved and hated, apparently. There are many, many, many of them, and they seem to be very concentrated in one area of this park. The last count of these birds were in 2012, and they counted over 32,000 thousand feral parakeets living in london yeah so where we're from most of our birds are either black or brown so it's uncommon for us to see a colored bird so when we were walking through hyde park and then all of a sudden these green birds were flying around that was pretty neat and they're not only flying around but they're friendly enough where they're just so used to people (laughs) yeah i mean they'll they'll land on you if you have food to feed them they'll eat it out of your hands we have pictures of you with these birds all over you yeah. yeah, the the uh, there was many people there that bring food to feed them, whether it's peanuts or bread or whatever it is they bring. There was a lovely mom and her son that were there, and they had lots of peanuts. And the little boy mm-hmm. was just watch. You know, he saw me looking at these birds, and my grandmother raised birds, so I'm attracted to this type of scene. And I'm standing there, and this little boy comes over with a handful of peanuts and says, "Do you want to feed them?" It was so cute. Yeah. And the second those peanuts were in my hand, those birds were flocking. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah, it was. So with Hyde Park, one of the nice things about it is it's a place you can spend a lot of time and it's free. Mm -hmm. And we we did spend several hours there on multiple days. 
And there's many, many other monuments throughout the park too. Yeah. That's just a few that yeah. we, we talked about. Yeah. So you can visit there and explore more of what it has to offer. Number three on our list. If you're a Beatles fan, you're going to find things to occupy your time in the area of London. The first place that we stumbled across, I think kind of by accident, we were actually looking for the Sherlock Holmes Museum. And just next to it is the London's Beatles store, which happens to have, they claim, the world's largest range of Beatles merchandise, including t-shirts, clothing, pins, bags, mugs, posters, recordings, etc. They have everything. Kind of whatever you want Beatles related, you're probably going to find it there. So that might be a a neat stop to get some Beatles souvenirs. I mentioned the Sherlock Holmes Museum. So if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, you can also visit that in London. We tried to, but the line was so long and we didn't have any kind of tickets in advance and it wasn't like our main itinerary thing. So we didn't get into Mm -hmm. it. So instead we're kind of watching the Sherlock Holmes episodes on TV these days and getting our fix. Yeah, but it seemed very popular. Yeah. The other thing that you may want to do if you're a Beatles fan, and we did this, is take the tube to... You're going to take it from the Green Park Station, get on the Jubilee Line, and three stops will get you to the St. John Wood Station, where if you walk for about five minutes, you're going to get to a super famous crosswalk, which is right in front of Abbey Road Studios. Most people, I think, are familiar with the cover of the Abbey Road album. You've got the four Beatles crossing that legendary street. And so it's common for tourists to make a pilgrimage out there and try to get their photo kind of replicating the crossing of the street where the Beatles were. Yes. To be aware, if you do visit there, it, there could be quite an immense crowd. Yeah. I think we lucked out. I don't think there was that many people yeah, there. It wasn't super crowded, but yeah. there, was, there were several groups kind of there before us what we kind of waited for for them to take their turn and the thing that i found really interesting is this crosswalk is in the middle of a fairly busy area and you know cars are actually trying to make their way to places that they probably need to get to and their travels are being interrupted by these crazy tourists including us trying to get their photo and probably you know stopping traffic on the way oh yeah for sure we got our photo and we apologize for any inconvenience we caused the nearby residents of london (laughs) that's a couple of things that again if you're a diehard beatles fan you may be interested in you're also going to find special tours that if you actually want to take a tour that will help you understand beatles history around london area you can actually get a guided tour so that's available for you as well Number four, all throughout the city of London, there are dozens of monuments. They depict several different people or events that have happened in London, some that uh, commemorate other things in other places that have a connection to London. Some of them you can visit and it could take you our if not more to visit. Others, you just kind of stop by, you look at them and you move on. Take a picture, get your photo, and you've got a piece of history in in a picture. Some of the monuments that we saw include the Monument to the Great Fire of London. It was massive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it caught our eye immediately. Super tall, huh? Very, very tall. It stands 202 feet tall. It's gilded with this urn of fire. So it represents 
the Great Fire of London in 1666. The height of it matches the distance between where the column is and Thomas Farner's Bakery is, and that's where the fire actually started. There are 311 steps in a staircase that leads up to the top. We did not go into the monument. Uh, we chose not to. I believe there is a cost involved in it, but I think it's very minimal. We took a lot of time to read the plaques that were on this monument, and we were surprised that none of them indicated the impact of the lives that were lost in the fire. We kept looking. I remember specifically thinking, well, there's got to be people that died. How many died? Yeah, I think one one of us probably went up and asked somebody we, about that. that was... The person that was attending the where you go in for the walk up yeah. to the staircase to the top. So I finally asked her. Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, they really didn't know how many people for sure, but they only verified six people had died. This was a massive, massive fire. I would be surprised if not more than six people Perished. I mean, you would have thought, especially you think about back then. Well, it sounds like the records weren't very well kept yeah, in this area. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of unknown mm-hmm, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if they found six bodies. Yeah. And that's as, as far as they took it. But, you know, yeah. there was a lot of immense, intense, heated fire. So you got to wonder, was there more? But they remember that event to the present day. Yeah. The other uh, memorial we saw was the Albert Memorial, and it's directly north of the Royal Albert Hall in Kensington Garden. It was huge. I don't remember, yeah, that we ever have seen a larger monument to a person than this one. And this was a monument that was commissioned by Queen Victoria for her beloved Albert, Mm -hmm. whom she mourned so very deeply. He died in 1861, But the memorial was opened up in July of 1872. It is a huge statue of Albert ceremonially seated in uh, 1876. So there was something that they modeled this monument after, um, something with Albert. It is so ornate. It's so much gilded gold. It's it almost looks so big and it almost looks new-ish you know you think about like some monuments that have been around for hundreds of years and after they've been around a while they start to show their wear discoloration this looked pristine it was it was really an incredible kept up yeah very incredible it it is old it's not something that uh hasn't seen the wear and tear of weather and everything so it's it was really very beautiful Mm -hmm. kind of had a, a gothic style to it it almost took 10 years and apparently a very lot of money to finish and it's one of the largest memorials of somebody that i've ever seen next one this was a fun one and it took some finding so so this would be a small memorial this is a small one but it was the cutest i think and we had we had to really look for this we had to ask people it's the paddington bear statue We all know who Paddington Bear is, right? Yeah, I read those books when I was a kid. Yes, it was a fun one to find. It was unveiled by the Paddington Bear series author Michael Bond in February of 2000. So it's it's relatively new. And it marks the association between Michael Bond, his little fictional bear, Paddington, 
and the station from which the name derives. So mm-hmm. we, it was actually in Paddington Station. Yeah, so we knew it was there, and then it was mm-hmm. a bit of a hunt to find the statue because we wanted to take our picture with it. And uh, we did. We hunted for a while, yeah. Yeah, we did. So it, it was a really fun find. I enjoyed looking yeah. for that. If you like finding little statues like that, you're going to find that there. So that's kind of neat. So because the UK has been through so much war, you're obviously going to find a lot of war memorials. You're going to find statues of famous people from London and other areas. You can check TripAdvisor or other online sources to kind of look and find the things that interest you the most when you visit London. Yeah. Yeah, so I think when you spend time there, you're just walking around, you're going to stumble into just so many of these things as we did. We did. That's kind of, that's what we did. So a fun fact. What do you got? About these monuments. So the city is filled with grand monuments and huge statues. So it's nice to know London has an official smallest statue. Smaller than the bear? Smaller than Paddington. It's located on Philpot Lane. The statue is of two tiny mice eating cheese, and it is dedicated to two builders who fell during construction of the monument after an argument over a missing sandwich. They blamed each other, but it was actually the fault of the little mices that stole their sandwich because the building was infested with them. (laughs) That's one of these statues we didn't know about in advance. We we didn't, but... So I, I would be... It's a little bit of a sad story if you ask yeah. me. The other thing that we saw, walked by, but actually did not do was the London Eye. Yeah, it's pretty iconic there in London. Yes, right? and you can't miss it. We weren't sure if we should do it. It was a cloudy day. So because of this uncertainty, I mean, even as we were heading towards the eye... There was massive crowds. I mean, there was a lot of people that were out on the bridges, walking by the the River Toms. There was so. Do you remember that? You remember no, I do. I mean, this packed? was this was the one time in London where we were we found ourselves all of a sudden in just wall to wall people, and I started actually to. F- feel a little bit on edge, you know, from a safety perspective, because you were just like sardines. Worried uh, about pickpockets. There was street performers out on on some of the areas out there where people stopped and they're watching the street performers. So you started getting packed in even more. Yeah, so I think our first order of business was to get out of this massive crowd. (laughs) And we we did get to the other side where you could get into the eye. Yeah, we checked it out. Yeah. I think you went in there and kind of were trying to get some information on the cost. and Yeah, no, it was 30 pounds to get on, I think, per person. I think that's one of the things that kind of made us pause about, it. Do, do we want to spend 30 pounds on this? Right, right. But I, I had to keep wondering. It was so cloudy that day. I mean, what you, kind of view are you going to get? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I think that we chose not to do it because it was yeah. not a, a clear day. Yeah. So instead, we decided to go get some frozen yogurt. Yes, and that was yummy. That was and very we kind good. Of strolled we around that. some more of London and uh, had our frozen yogurt. And I think one of the places we started to walk to after that is number five on the list, which is Piccadilly Circus. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, I'm trying to think five years old, six years old, my godmom had a series of postcards that she kept from her various travels. And one of the ones I I remember looking at when I was a kid, there was one of Piccadilly Circus. And it just looked like this interesting 
place and it always captured my imagination and I thought hey you know as a kid you think about you know places in the world you might go to see someday this was one of the places that I always thought would be neat for me to go mm -hmm. to someday so do you think Nusha still has that I don't know she, does, she doesn't throw anything away I have no idea you should ask her <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so that postcard I saw at five or six years old was an inspiration for me and so Piccadilly Circus is not a circus like Ringling Brothers, where it gets its name from. So it happens to be a road junction in London's West End in the city of Westminster. And it was built in 1819 to connect Regent Street with Piccadilly. And in the context of where this place is, a circus comes from the Latin word that means circle. And it's basically just a round open space at a street junction. So you've got this kind of the center of this intersection of streets and you've got stores, you've got this, the neon billboardy, you know, thing that's very famous there. There's a statue that's also fairly famous right in the middle there. We spent some time sitting around it along with probably several dozen, if not hundred people. It's the Shaftesbury Memorial Fountain and statue, which is popularly, though mistakenly, believed to be of Eros. So it is mm. not of that. But it, this is just an area where you can soak up the city vibe of London. There's lots of stores around the area. There's always going to be lots of people there. There's a lot of stuff going on. So kind of for of that, yeah, that, that urban vibe. Piccadilly Circus is a place you're going to pick that up. Yeah. So we walked a lot in that area. Mm -hmm. Number six would be some famous bridges. Mm -hmm. The first one would be the Tower Bridge, which is a famous suspension bridge built in the late 1800s. And it's close to the Tower of London. And it has become one of the most iconic symbols of London. You see this picture of a bridge in the opening of Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. So it's been there for a long time. Sometimes it, it gets confused with the London Bridge, which is about a half mile upstream from the Tower Bridge. And the London Bridge, I believe, is quite newer than the Tower Bridge. The current version of it. The current version. Yes, There's we'll been other versions. It. There have been some that have fallen. So when we visited the, the Tower Bridge, we came back from England and the UK with probably several thousand photos. My favorite photo out of all of them that we have is one I think that you took of the Tower Bridge. And you ended up creating this wall of photos depicting mm -hmm. travels to various places that we have been through over the years. And this is a photo that's kind of made the uh, the wall of vacation. So there's not many on there. But it from, was very striking. Yeah, from yeah. England. We just got this, this fantastic photo that almost, it looks... Uh, um, it almost looks unreal. You know, it looks like it was touched up to me by some like yeah, Photoshop thing. It, it's it's just a, I don't even know what um, camera I used, but. It might have even been the iPhone. I think it was the iPhone. Yeah, but it was just this stunning photograph. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a neat thing to, to see. We did walk over it. And you can actually apparently go inside of it, go up one of the columns right. and you can cross the bridge. And apparently there's like a see-through kind of glass-ish right, right. bridge where mm -hmm. you can kind of see below. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of chicken of height. So that probably would not be for me. But if you're okay with yeah. looking down through a see-through bridge, knock yourself mm -hmm. out at the uh, Tower Bridge in London. Now, I mentioned the London Bridge, and that is also a famous bridge in 
uh, London area. Yeah, and it's just uh, like a short walk away from the Tower Bridge. Very short walk. It is open to traffic, and it opened up in 1973, and it's replaced this very large 19th century stone-arched bridge, which in turn superseded a 600-year-old stone medieval structure, and this was preceded by a succession of timber bridges that were built by the Roman founders in London. So yeah. this that particular bridge has had several versions mm-hmm. over time. And at some point, there has been historic collapses of some of these bridges. And there is a nursery rhyme that talks about these historic tra- yeah, uh, we all know collapses. It, huh? We know what that one is, is London bridges falling down, which I sing to my grandchildren. Hmm. Yeah, so we walked by the London Bridge. I do not believe... Did we cross that? Was that the original bridge we crossed getting over to the eye? I think that's the bridge at the end of our Tower of London Day that we ended up crossing to get on the other side of the river. And that's where we actually stumbled onto that monument of the Great Fire of London. Mm-hmm. It was okay. yeah, that, yeah. that afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go on to number seven, which is music. So if you're a music fan, you're going to find lots of options to appreciate music in the city of London. And the thing that I'm going to recommend, which is probably not for everybody, but the few times I've had a chance to experience this type of music, it's just a magical experience for me. And that is to take in an organ concert at a historic church. So we ended up, I probably identified this like in a local paper, maybe on the internet a few days before, but at St. Paul's Cathedral, there was one evening where there was going to be an organ concert. So we had planned to walk over to the church in the early evening, and we were Mm -hmm. going to go to this organ concert. And for a matter of perspective, if there's an organ concert where we live in one of our local churches, you might be lucky to get two dozen, three dozen people, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's not a thing here the way it is in Europe. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, sitting in front of the church because we got there a little bit early and a line started to form in front of the cathedral. So one of the things was we were in our travel clothes, you know, we were traveling with just a backpack. So I think I had my hiking pants on and a t-shirt and I think some of the people in the line well, most of the people in the line were better dressed than we were. And I think we were partly wondering, point, yeah. were we even going to get in? We, was there going to be like a dress code type of thing? We kind of sat on the steps for a while, watching as people were making their way towards this line, wondering, you know, if we could get away with what we were wearing, if it would be appropriate. And soon enough, we saw some people that were maybe in t-shirts and jeans. Somebody so, was in shorts. Yep. Somebody, so we thought, hey, let's go for it. Yeah, we're okay. Mm-hmm. So we went in. I think when we were sitting in the church, I ended up at one point just kind of trying to do a count of how many were there. There was at least 600 people in the church. So a lot of people appreciating this type of music. And if you've never had a chance to experience a real pipe organ in a cathedral type space, just hearing the magnificence of an instrument like that in a reverberant space is an experience that but, you should And the have. quality of this organist, though, was outstanding. Yeah, so we saw, the, the organist we saw was a gentleman named Daniel Beckman. He played a 90-minute concert, just 
stunning virtuoso. The thing that shocked me when I when we were done with this, I ended up going like on a website. It was either his website or his management company's website to find out like where else he's performing. And I think this organist is mainly like a professor or a teacher of organs mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was stunning to me that somebody would prepare the kind of program that we heard and not take it around the world to other churches. I mean, he probably maybe only had two stops mm-hmm. total on the tour of his this particular program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we were lucky to hear this mm-hmm. organist. It was just a phenomenal experience. Besides something like that, and you have multiple old churches in London right. where you can also find, you know, pipe organs and those types of concerts. London also has six major orchestras. So if you like symphony music, you're going to find lots of options for that. The city also boasts all kinds of clubs. So if you want something more popular, be it rock or blues or jazz, you're going to find that in the city as well. There you may find a dress code. Not at the rock club. What? Where? At some clubs. Well, a different type of dress code. Yes. You may be denied entry what if you- you're wearing travel clothes. To a music club? To some clubs. Or to a bar, maybe. So shall we digress for a second? <laughs> Please do. All right. So, <laughs> so, but before we went to the organ concert, we had some time to kill and we thought we'd grab a drink somewhere. So a few blocks before we got to the church, we we were at a jewelry store and somebody re- recommended a bar that was, you know, to take the elevator to get to and they said you'd see a view of the city so we go to the elevator and we're gonna push the button to try to get up and there's an elevator attendant there was two elevator attendants yes and i remember i just remember one of them you know his eyes started at my shoes and then slowly moved up (laughs) to my head and what was the comment something about we have smart dress this afternoon and basically it was code for you're not getting in because you're not dressed appropriately even though i had money in my wallet to buy (laughs) drinks probably for everybody that was in the venue we did not have drinks there that day so that that was the only place that we ran into a dress code situation yeah so we, we bought gin and tonic somewhere else later that evening. So yeah. too bad but, for um, them. Yeah. We had chosen to pack very, very lightly when we went. So yeah. these are the things you run into when uh, you don't have the correct attire. I'm going to mention one other place that's music related because I happened to catch a concert from there this morning that was broadcast over the internet because that's all they're doing right now in the COVID era. There is a famous music hall there called Wigmore Hall. It's also a basically a classical venue. So if you like classical music, they have some phenomenal artists that perform at Wigmore Hall. And they have many of their concerts you can view on the internet. I saw Angela Hewitt, famous pianist this morning, and just just stunning. Just absolutely stunning. So anyways, I can go on and on about music, but let's talk about something else, Julie. Well, let's go to number eight on the list. Famous people's residences. We had ventured off to find a famous person's residence, and his name was Freddie Mercury. We did find it. It took it took a little bit of doing because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember why we we kept trying to find the street and the numbers were off or something. And it it 
we had to keep walking. It's like we thought we found it, and then we had to keep walking. And, yeah, it's like we were close, yeah. but we weren't quite there, but ultimately found it. And you can't miss it once you get to it because there's usually memorabilia or flowers or something in front of the entrance. Mm-hmm. And it's also covered with a plexiglass because I guess people are worried about you walking straight into this residence without permission. Yeah. So we went there and there is a second residence that Freddie Mercury had at 22 Gladstone Avenue in Feltham, London. Yeah. We also ventured off to find another one, and that was of Alfred Hitchcock. So we went to 153 Cromwell Street, where we found where Alfred Hitchcock once lived. Yeah, and there was something interesting that we saw at his residence. So there was in kind of in the front door area, there was this blue plaque. Yeah, I noticed this blue plaque, and I I looked at it, and, and I read it, and... It signified places where famous people lived in the London area. So that kind of sent us off on a quest as we were walking around looking for these blue circles. They were plaques, but they were blue circles. Yeah. And it would tell you who lived there and when they lived there. Yeah. And I think we were walking down the street from where Alfred Hitchcock's house was. And we stumbled across the home that was once occupied by the composer Benjamin Britten. I remember Mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. And then we saw several others, and we spent a few hours, I think, this one afternoon <laughs> just kind of strolling around. Strolling the, around looking for blue circles. Yeah, just to see whose other famous home that yeah. we could find. And they're not always on the first floor, so you got to make sure you look up. They're kind of like the Krasnoliki in Wrocław, yeah. Poland. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That'll be in a future episode in the future. Yeah. So. so to get this blue plaque, the property owners have to nominate their homes for it. And most suggestions come from people recommending a certain individual have a plaque in the city. To qualify, you must have died at least 20 years prior and have a surviving and recognizable property in London. So there's over 900 homes in London that have these blue plaques. And they include the residences of Dame Agatha Christie, Mm Charlie Chaplin, Winston Churchill, and back on the music theme, George Frederick Handel from the classical era and Jimi Hendrix from the rock and roll era. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a quite a genre of uh, famous people. Yeah. So again, if you got some time to kill, you might hop around London looking for homes with the blue plaques. And the other thing that. You know, if you're spending all this time walking around looking at monuments and bridges and plaques, you're ultimately going to get fairly thirsty and hungry. So food and drink is our number nine thing to do in the city of London. So one of the things that we had identified to visit was a historic pub. And before we went to London, I think you had come across a place called the Lamb and the Flag Mm -hmm. that we had believed was the oldest pub in London. So we had this on our list and we actually found it. I think it was um, fairly close to that Piccadilly Circus area. And we ended up having a pint or two there Mm -hmm. one afternoon. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a smallish place. And I must have, I I know I TripAdvisor reviewed it and Yelp reviewed it. I think I maybe only gave it like an average rating because it didn't knock my socks off. It wasn't, I mean, it was, I mean, to me, like, Average is, is average, you know, yeah, that's we, not we nothing bad. we did ask one of the employees if this was the oldest club, and he kind of was maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah, <laughs> and so I did end up getting a response from a manager there after I had posted a review of our experience there, 
And I'm just going to read some of what he wrote back to us. So he said, and this is from Patrick, the general manager at the Lamb and the Flag, at least he was at the time of our visit. And Patrick says, yes, we have indeed got a long and colorful history. And whilst we are not the oldest pub in London, a common misconception, we are the oldest pub in Covent Garden and have been here since 1623. And there's only a handful of pubs older than this in London, mainly due to the great fire that happened in 1666. And they've been frequented by many famous characters of history, including Charles Dickens, Lord Byron, and Samuel Butler, to name a few. In the 18th and 19th century, the pub was famous for hosting bare-knuckle boxing, where it got its nickname as the Bucket of Blood. Nice. Yeah, and like many old historic pubs in the city, outdoor space is limited, which is what we experienced, to the pavement outside where folks have enjoyed an after-work pint or have otherwise gone upstairs to what they call the Dryden Room for a freshly cooked traditional meal made only using the freshest ingredients. So we were invited by Patrick. If we visit London again in the future, give him another try and perhaps we will find them to be more than average. I, I enjoyed our beers there. So I, I enjoyed yeah. our, our I enjoyed our beers, but I also knew there had to have been some kind of history. Yeah. Because so it looked old. It was a neat space. Yeah. Other places that could be of interest. So we had walked by a place called Bar 190 one afternoon. And there's a plaque in front of this bar that signifies it as the site of the launch and photo shoot of the 1968 Rolling Stones album, Beggar's Banquet. Londoners also love pubs so much that five of the underground stations are named after them. There's the Angel, the Royal Oak, Elephant and Castle, Manor House, and Swiss Cottage. Other things that we enjoyed in London, we had an afternoon where we stopped at a place called the Muffin Man and had, I guess you'd call it a traditional English tea. We had some tea and sandwiches mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. really a nice experience. And... I wasn't going to leave the UK without trying fish and chips myself. So I got my fish and chips when we were in London, as well as a gin and tonic. We stopped at a place called Ye Old London. It seemed when we were walking around, it, it wasn't uncommon to walk by restaurants. And many of them had a sign in front that claimed that they had the best fish and chips. Oh, yes. So apparently there's a competition in London for who has the best fish and chips. Mine were pretty good. I don't know if the, the place that we ate at, if they claimed they were the best or not, but it was enjoyable. And one fun fact in the food area. So the beer flood, Julie. So in 1814... <laughs> A tidal wave of beer was unleashed on London, and it act, it apparently killed more people than the Great Fire of London. It killed eight people. Wow. So swimming in beer might sound like an absolute dream to some, but the London beer flood is one of the facts about London that might make you think twice. It started when a vat of beer in the Moe and Company Brewery exploded, unleashing a huge tsunami of beer that swept down from Tottenham Court Row to the surrounding streets. Of the eight people who died, five of them were attending a wake. Oh, that's sad. So there's your food fun fact. That is a whole lot well, of beer. I don't even know if it's a fun fact. It's an interesting fact. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's no fun. Yeah. Let's go to number 10. 
on our list, which has to do with something that I enjoy doing, which is collecting souvenirs. No, we did not have room for a whole lot of souvenirs. We didn't. So we had to be very careful. We did buy stuff that was small Mm -hmm. and could be packed away easily. But there are tons of stores where you can buy souvenirs. We bought a few things around when we were in Piccadilly Circus. We bought a few things there. While we were there too, we were also, I was looking for my Pandora charm. Mm -hmm. That is the area where we got turned away for not being posh enough. Yeah, I think it was that. You know, the, it was somebody at the Pandora that recommended the, it uh, was, yeah. the bar. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that we always do when we travel is we take our iPhones and or several other cameras and we take pictures. Yeah, that's our main souvenir. Yeah, and we bring them home. We enjoy them. I showed my mom today our pictures of our Utah trip and she thoroughly enjoyed those. So hmm. we share them with others and we just have a lot of fun with that. You can see some of them on our, on our blog and website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's 10 things to occupy your time around some of the big attractions that you might do in London. Again, we spent, I think this is probably going to be knocking on the door of an hour conversation. So, so many things to do, even beyond what we've mentioned here. So it's a fantastic city to visit. We have one more fun fact about London. So... Among the people who may want to visit London, sometimes the Queen wants to visit London. And did you know that the Queen can't just visit London on her own accord? She has to get permission. And she has to seek that from the Mayor of London, who has the authority to grant permission to the Queen to enter the city. So she has to put in a formal request from the Mayor via a ceremony held at Temple Bar. And the precedent is that the mayor allows her to enter, but we've all seen the stark difference between convention and reality this year. So who knows, maybe that's yet another convention that will be broken. So we walked and we walked and we walked. We walked a lot in London. We walked miles. Yes. Yes. And that's us. Again, we love to do that. That's our, our form of travel. We get there and we just love to walk around and look and enjoy the sights. Yeah. We also rode a lot of tube. We did. Yeah. We did. We got good at it. We were experts (laughs) pretty quickly. Yeah. So London, this was our first visit. It's been our only visit so far, but we thoroughly enjoyed the city. And and on our whole UK trip, we we spent more time in London than any other place Mm -hmm. we visited. Mm -hmm. So And could go back and and see a ton more. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things we didn't see. So I intend to get back to the UK. Mm -hmm. So on my list, Julie. Okay, with that, we're going to say our goodbyes. And so glad you could stop and visit with us. We'd like to invite you on to our podcast using your engine of choice. We're now on Google Podcasts. So we'd like to wish you well on your travels. And thank you for joining us on the places where we go. Cheerio from our London recap. If you have any comments or info to share with us, about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now. <laughs>